to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a group of masked men took hostages and robbed a cash depot. Who masterminded the largest heist in history? An up-and-coming mixed martial arts fighter. We'll discuss the Showtime series, Catching Lightning. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and yes, the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. So this is obviously Thursday's podcast. It is. What is happening next week on the program? All right, on Monday, we're doing sort of a quick bonus. We're going to be talking first about the new bonus episode of Bone Valley, which came out right after Leo Schofield's uh, parole hearing. Bone Valley. So we'll catch up on that. Our main review is going to be uh, talking about the... uh, I, I don't even know how to define the genre of this quasi reality, reality, quasi practical joke satire. comedy. It's a it's a series called Jury Duty, and it's on Freevee. We have been watching the trailer for this show for months. It's amazing, and waiting for it. We're yeah, like, so the season's just about over, I believe. Okay, well, we're looking forward to that. Can I just say something about Bone Valley? Sure. My son, like the way that he makes fun of me. Is by walking up to like like pretending that I walk up to people and say, "So have you heard of Bone Valley?" <laughs> <laughs> that's become like his fake calling card for me. So have you heard of Bone Valley? If that's like the worst that he can do, making fun of me, I'll take it. I'll take it. Right? Yeah. Well, just ask ask me like that. Do do the whole thing to me. So Kevin, have you heard of Bone Valley? You ain't seen nothing. Oh, you didn't see nothing. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. That's in bad. You didn't see nothing. You were supposed to say, I'll put my bone in your valley. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Remember when we made Bone Valley like the grossest? Bone Valley. Oh, my God. Can't wait to go back to Bone Valley. You think when Leo gets out, he's going to get to go to Bone Valley? He's going to get to go to Bone Valley. He's got a Bone Us episode. (laughs) Bone Bone Us Valley. When Leo gets out, when Leo gets out, which he will, and uh, Gilbert gets him on an episode of the podcast, I really hope to meet Leo someday. And I'm going to be so embarrassed when Leo finds out how many jokes we made on this show about fucking Bone Valley. Yeah, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to him. No, it's <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. We have something else to talk about tonight. So let's do that, shall we? Let's do that. All right. Let's drop that first clip now. Leading off. This story was an absolute belter. There's no two ways about it. It's, it was the stuff that dreams are made of. Heists and huge amounts of money. Armed gang, disguises, kidnapping, great police investigations. It was a huge, huge story. In 2006, a group of armed and masked men used kidnapping and precision 
to enter a counting center, making off with 53 million British pounds in cash. The media buzzed over who was behind the largest heist in history. We know for a fact that this is organized crime at its top level. This is planned and executed with military precision. The trail led to Lightning Lee Murray, a champion contender in the world of mixed martial arts. But Murray didn't just make money as an ultimate fighting star. The middleweight remained connected to the street gang he grew up in, and now he's on the run. Understand it? No, I don't, because he had what he wanted. Great life, money, cars, houses. Don't get it, but you can take the man off the street, but you can't take the street out of the man. Showtime sports documentary films presents Catching Lightning, looking at Murray's rise in extreme sports and his role in the Securitas Depot robbery. The four-part series uses jailhouse recordings of Murray, plus interviews with athletes and investigators to dissect why, quote, Lightning Lee turned to crime and how he was caught. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about some plot points from Catching Lightning. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, you're not into MMA, ultimate fighting. That's not your thing. I mean, I know you're all shocked by this, but no, I am not into MMA. One of my old roommates, one of my college roommates, uh, Missy, she was like obsessed with it. She even like took some classes like at one point, like wow. boxing. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I'm all set. I don't know. It just frightens me when when they get in the cage. And I'm like, I just feel like. It's not a cage. It's the octagon. <laughs> Everyone used to be fringe. <laughs> Remember when MMA and Ultimate Fighting used to be fringe? You mean when Joe Rogan was the master of ceremonies? Do you remember when it used to be like a joke on Friends? Yes. And it was like John Favreau, John Favreau was yeah. like Courtney. Yeah. So I remember that. And now we literally, so like there's this restaurant I love in Boston that's near Logan Airport. Uh, it's called uh, Kelly Square Pub. It's mm. one of my favorite restaurants in Boston, by the way. So we go there just to like before dinner or before going to the airport or whatever. Like, And it's like this little pub fucking MMA on the TV. MMA is like a mainstream thing. It's on TV. I just can't believe that it's become so mainstream. Anyway, it's wild. It's wild. But regardless of whether I watch it or not or follow it or know anything about it, uh, I mostly what I know about it, I learned from watching this documentary. You got to respect Lee Murray getting into that based on where he came from. Yeah. I mean, he had like this shitty upbringing. He, you know, grew up in, you know, kind of a rough and tumble area in London and learned to fight. And that was kind of, that was his way out in the end because he was good at it. Honestly, as we get later into this, I'm going to say a lot of these guys have probably just been hit a few too many times in the head. And that might explain <laughs> the way that this whole thing played out with the heist. I got to say, I also, I also kind of can't help but think for John Cusack being like, Kickboxing is a sport of the future. <laughs> Go ahead, Toby. Uh, I just, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of come from his type of background. I mean, it's not really the kind of sport that you get at prep school or, or, or <laughs> no. whatever. I mean, I think it tends no? to you be. Don't think so? You didn't. You didn't get that in your hippie elementary school in Syracuse. <laughs> well, a little bit, a little bit. But I don't know. When I was in elementary school, I got uh, I got beat up pretty bad like that. Sean Kane took got, you to the mat. Took to the mat. Sorry, Toby. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, it seems like it's a lot of college wrestlers and just like general sort of tough guys who then trained 
to learn how to really fight. You absolutely have to have good coaching and very, very tough training partners that will absolutely kick the shit out of you in practice to make you better. You need to be field tested, right? And that was the only way we had the best field. That's why Lee Murray and these guys came to our field. One of the things I actually did see this really, I'm like a Redditor and there's this incredible video of this. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of a famous video of Reddit, on Reddit of this kid who thinks he's like a tough, like martial arts dude. He's like, you know, like making his moves <laughs> and he goes to this like MMA dude's house and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to get you with my martial arts. And the guy's like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> and, the MMA guy, and the guy's like so disrespectful. The kid is like one of these like punk kids who's like, no, no, no I don't need anything. And the guy's like, no, 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 I, I'll, I'll train you. I'll help you, whatever. And he's like, oh, I don't need to be trained. I don't need. And the, the martial arts guy's like, are you fucking kidding me? He <laughs> reaches out and like, it's horrible. Anyway, oh. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't give any fucks and they know how to fight, I guess is the point. Um, so you actually thought, Toby, that like Lee's journey into the world of MMA, the first part was interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I think mixed martial arts is weird because it sort of supplanted boxing in a lot of ways as being like this sort of violent sport that is people kind of pay attention to, but it doesn't really have the kind of history that boxing has where you can look back and, and, you know, you hear about all these legendary boxers from the 1800s and early 1900s, all this stuff. So I guess I didn't really have a sense of like, what it means to be an MMA guy. Like how, how do you get to the top levels? Like how do you work your way up? So it was kind of interesting to see how somebody who's very talented, like how do they get themselves into a situation in which they can compete at like the very, very highest levels. And essentially it seems like it is going to these like really rough and tumble gyms where you show up and you either get scared off, like most people go there and they get kind of run out of the gym. And then the people who stay are just like beat the hell out of each other, like day after day after day in training for these big fights. And it seems as though this guy Lee was of the level where he wasn't getting chased out, right? Like he could hang with these guys who were very, very serious, successful fighters. Uh, that being said, it, it's a little hard to tell like how good he really was. Like, I, I don't know if you felt the same way, Kevin. It's like you have these interviews with these people who trained him and mm-hmm. like his buddies and stuff. And, and to a certain extent, I was like, you know, it's just not that great a documentary. If they're like, well, yeah, he probably would have been pretty good. It might have been like <laughs> 500. Well, there was one point where they said he could have been he could have been a best in the world at one point. Yeah, and I was like, and that was sure cool. about everybody though. You know, but it's like if it's just like, oh yeah, he would have been he would have been all right. Like it doesn't make much of a documentary. So I wasn't sure how much of that was sort of hyperbole. And then you know, as far as I could tell, it seemed like he th- fought three fights, one two of them, lost one. And then got into a drunken street brawl with a very well-known mixed martial art guy mm-hmm. and beat him up while he was drunk. So that seems to be his fighting career. Well, when you're trained at the Body Shots Gym, Toby, <laughs> best name ever for the gym. Yeah, I, you know, because I know this was created or produced with the sports documentary division here that I know that's there's kind of like this balance you're trying to, to find between, you know, this being about the athlete and his story and how he fits in with the crime. I mean, there was a much broader examination of that when we did the O.J. Simpson uh, one, 
you know, where it looked a lot at his career and a lot at his at his uh, criminal history and sort of talked about, you know, sort of the cultural implications and all that. I thought that the um, the part about his up his his you know rise in the sport, I, I actually found that kind of belabored. I was kind of starting. Yeah, I was. You know, I mean, like, how many times do we have to hear about how he trained really hard? And it, you know, they had at least five UFC talking heads just talking about that part of his life. I mean, I think they they hammered that peg pretty flat. We get that he was on his way to be the best middleweight champion. <laughs> are you? I mean, are you totally like denigrating middleweights? Uh, no, we no. don't even. We don't know. But it's just, that welterweight guy. But we like, don't know what that me. means because they never actually yeah, give like an wait. overview of the sport and like what even like that means. But a middleweight. Oh, they they means? say they say it's like 185 yeah. pounds. No, but no, but they don't say like in the world of MMA. Like there's a a strat. Like they don't really because they talked a whole lot about MMA and UFC. I'm sure that that was there. I. I will be honest with you. I was bored to fucking tears by this series because like they talk yeah. about the robbery at the beginning. Yeah. And then I'm like, when is the robbery part going to happen? Well, it's like you got to get away like an hour. Yeah. I guess this, I mean, I thought guys, it was like smart to start with the robbery and you kind of get what the stakes are and like, okay, this is what the crime is about. And you're kind of intrigued, you know, that it wasn't like Don Corleone behind the break in and whatnot. It was this, athlete who you know people knew on tv and whatnot yeah and then you start to find out about him but it takes an hour right i mean you through that whole first episode i think halfway through the second before you really come back to that i don't know if it would have been better if maybe they cut back a little bit but yeah that was long to find out about this career that really lasted about a dozen fights i mean that big one but i will wrap up by saying I thought the story the guys told about the street fight I was, gonna ask was you about so that. fucking entertaining. Why did you think that was entertaining? Because it was so it was there they were just so bros about it. It was like bro brawl. It was like when guys Wait, talk, so for they, listeners who haven't seen it, describe the, what they were what they were doing in that part of the doc. Don't give these guys a bunch of alcohol and release them in the streets outside a club at three AM, right, Kevin? Absolutely. I don't have to tell it. We can just listen to it. He hit him and he fucking spilled ragdolling across the cobblestone in a fucking, in a, in a heap. I've never seen like something really piled up. Next thing I know, Paul Allen's chinned him and the guy was laying down by the side of a car. And his arm flops out and a cab runs over, I think his hand or whatever. Like when guys have an experience, like whether it's, <laughs> you know, just something that they found like crazy, like they get all hyped up when they talk about it. And just some sort of the language that they're using and the way they're describing it and just sort of the surrealness of guys just walk around, punch a guy, he goes down, you know, cab runs over a guy's arm, guy's stuck in his his uh, leather coat. I mean, just the details that they remembered. I just found that whole thing super entertaining. I agree. I think that was one of the more like entertaining scenes of the whole thing because not only the the play-by-play that we got but then this like dramatic reenactment they had and they're like there's blood on the ceiling and then like you see this like stab wound in his head and they're like he died like three times on the way to the hospital so it sets up that okay he is pretty fucked up and for him to come back from this and be back in the ring is going to be a challenge at one point, they took him somewhere on the way when he was bleeding there. Then they took him to this place, which I didn't really understand before he went to the hospital. So, yeah. yeah. I will say something. I thought that part was so boring. That's where it lost me. Because <laughs> we have watched so many things 
where there's a group of people recounting a scene that happened that has been done in such a stylized and good way where we've seen filmmakers do creative recountings either with, um, you know, the actual people doing the recreations, which now I think has been done too many times, or with just some sort of creative, dynamic recounting that sort of brings you in and like fucking McMillions, which was about a goddamn McDonald's game, Mm -hmm. which was so, should have been so not interesting. Like, now I'm not saying this should have Who made that one interesting? Which guy? FBI, FBI guys. Who could really express himself, laugh, tell a really great story, a raconteur, right? Ostensibly, some of these guys could have been that, but it was also just the style of the documentarians that made that yeah. good, right? So, like, I'm just saying, this was just a bunch of meatheads talking about, and then I punched him, and <laughs> then I punched him. I just don't think dudes talking about stuff is, is inherently interesting. I guess dudes would find it. So, I guess the one thing I would say about that is that I I kind of felt like the first episode, episode and a half, is really about legend making, right? It's about mm. taking this guy who really didn't have much of a career, right? He had, again, they talk about three fights, maybe had half a dozen, didn't have much of a career, and they're building him up into this, like, sort of what he could have been type of figure. Could have been a contender. Um, <laughs> So actually having a recreation of like what these guys are talking about, which is clearly not literal. Like, I don't care how tough you are. If you've got other guys who are trained in fighting, you're not standing there and having them walk up to you and just punching them once and just laying them like stacking them up like wood as they approach you. Like it's just bullshit. Yeah. So it's sort of this myth making around Lee. And I mean, that's, you know, and I think they kind of have to do it because the actual heist is kind of cool the way they do it. They've got great footage, all this stuff, but they suck, right? The cops are on them within like a few hours. Like mm-hmm. there's almost no time where the cops are like, I wonder what happened. It's like they're on it instantly. And then, you know, it's basically a heist thing, right? And the thing with really good heist movies is that you you're in on the on the the planning. It's like there's the planning. It's like getting the guys together. It's figuring out the plan. And then it's like executing the plan and what happens. And then there's, there's like the thing that comes after they don't have anything about the plan and it's not really their fault. I, I just, they don't have that material, but they're missing like the crucial part of a heist thing. So they're trying to kind of make up for it with the fact that this guy who could have been a good MMA guy happened to be a part of it. And that's trying to make up for all these other things that they're missing because they also have this like incredible like CCTV footage of the actual heist itself. Yeah, you know, it always sort of happens in real life. Like I'm thinking in the in the Brinks case from the 1950s, like you're right, they put all this incredible planning into the heist. Yep. And it's sort of the thing that they don't do such a good job about is sort of afterwards what we're going to do with this. Like in the Brinks heist, the funny thing was they would go and they, they would take the uh, the doorknob off of the, like the, the outside door and then they would go and have a key made from it and they'd bring it back. And then the next night they would go through that door and then get to the next door, remove that. And they just kept doing this until they were able to get to the counting room and they made it off with like $2 million. So we see this again, sort of, you know, that's the interesting thing is how do they get in? You're right. We don't get that. But more importantly is they have like no idea, like, 
who's going to be turning on who and who's going to rip off who and how we're going to launder this money when you have 50, what was it? 53 million quid. It weighs a lot too. So like, what are you going to do with that? I'm not surprised that like 32 million is still unaccounted for because I just don't think they had a chance to move it. Wherever they stashed it, it just hasn't been moved. I mean, you could take some of that and you could get a subscription to us at Patreon.com. You could. You could. You go Come to on, Patreon. Lee. Step we, up, Lee. We take British pounds. We take euros. We yep. take kroner. Good. Pesos, whatever. Yep. Rubles. It, uh, I don't know if we do rubles. but No, what's what's the currency in Morocco? Uh, I don't probably uh, probably the euro, right? I mean, that's why he was able to go there without without a passport, right? Listen, we need we take it all, and we and honestly, our Patreon. Listen, it's not just a thing where you get free stuff; it actually supports our work. We are able to make this show because people belong to our Patreon. We make extra stuff there, and that's what helps us do this show. I'm just gonna say. Yeah, some of the things that you can get there include the ad-free versions of Crime Writers On. Yeah, so, ad-free and early. Ad-free and early. As soon as Rebecca hits save on that file, she puts it right on Patreon and drops it. So You're going to get like a day early. Yeah, or, or at least more. a couple hours or, or more. Really, Rebecca, do you do like this work days ahead of time? Listen, it all depends on when Liv <clears throat> gets me those files. Then I edit it and then I upload it. But Liv is in, in Ireland right now. So you can't. Liv is in Ireland right now. Just, she's living a better life. Livy is, her life is incredible. She's a digital nomad. But as soon as I edit the show and it's ready to go, I schedule it for the public feed. But as soon as it's ready, I'll just put it out there on Patreon. You'll get it early and ad free. Yeah, other things you can get include the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast. On the latest Married with Podcast, Rebecca and I, we deal with the question from Jill, who wants to convince her husband that. They need to give some financial support oh, to her son that who's having a crisis. That question. And whether or not you uh, you listen to Mary with Podcast or not, you should join our Facebook group. It's called Mary with Podcast. Let's discuss. Okay, can I say it, something? Yeah, yeah. You should join our Patreon and listen with Mary the Podcast. That is a fucking good podcast. It is, it is. But uh, if, if you really want to get in on sort of the ground floor of all these questions, you can submit questions and actually answer other people's questions at the Mary with Podcast Facebook group. Somebody like Jill uh, or Jennifer will come in and they'll drop a question in. They're looking for some advice. And I tell you, at least a dozen great answers come up long before we can even get it the on the podcast. The community's free, right? It's you absolutely just join free. the Mary with Podcast join, community. We let you right in. It's a lot of fun. So you can also get that Mary with Podcast, the latest Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Coming up on the next uh, Deep Dive, Toby is going to uh, be going over his discussion of Motor Spirit with guests Rebecca Lavoie, Janet Varney, and Jillian Pensavale. I hope those guys make it. <laughs> we'll be all right. And lastly, um, uh, this week, uh, yesterday came out the latest episode of These Are Their Stories. This was a, we're looking back at an episode of The Mothership in which uh, a guy kills a cop, but they let him go so they can charge him with killing the other cop killer. So he walks for killing a cop. But you nail him for killing the cop killer. An irony he gets to reflect upon over the next 40 years in Attica. Yes. And that's it's with crazy. Brady Carlson. It's with Brady Carlson. He's wonderful. He's one of our original Tats guests. I think he was our first, wow. actually. That's right. And if we don't do it ever again, he'll be our last. Okay. So, Kevin Flynn. Yes. Before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Jennifer Rubin and Luella Bryan. 
Bless you. Bless you. And thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And thank you to everyone who doesn't. Do you, do you recognize Luella's name? Luella Bryan? Yeah. Luella was the journalist from Murder in Bighorn. Remember oh, her? Yeah. <gasps> yep. Oh. Yeah, so she's she's a crime writers on listener and she's joining she's joining us on Patreon and Incredible. It's, awesome. She's doing such great work. We uh even though I didn't care necessarily for the documentary, I think we all were in agreement that it's such a powerful story and Luella's the good work just yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Luella, and thank you to everybody who listens to the show, whether you support us on Patreon or not, and God love you for muscling through the business section. All right, I'm gonna fade the music out right now. So, Toby, you have a correction to make about the currency in Morocco, do you not? It is. It's the uh, dirham. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's worth about a dime right now. Okay. After all your efforts at pronouncing those Polish towns, after that cat of the week that you had to fill in for, I'm sure that's exactly how you pronounce it. I still wake up with with night terrors. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Toby. Oh, goodness. All right. So let's talk about the heist itself. Um, Toby, you think that things slow down when they start actually detailing the actual heist in which 53 million pounds are stolen and people are apparently put in cages? I It did a little bit. I mean, it. so the first part is talking about Lee's MMA career. And then the second part is kind of like what happens afterwards. And both of those especially the, the, the third part are sort of, it's kind of hard to get information. You know, I just don't think they have a whole lot for the middle part where it's actually the heist. They have so much stuff about that heist. They've got CCTV footage, which we see a lot of, but apparently there was an hour and a half of it. They talk about, Mm -hmm. you have a whole bunch of different interviews with different people. I, I mean, it's essentially cops. I think for the most part, cops, lawyers, and, and some people who worked at the place and they just have so much information that and just like trying to get it out to you. So you have like this complete understanding of what happened. The pace kind of slows down, right? Because it, it just takes a while to get you all this stuff. I would say they don't really do it in a particularly suspenseful way, but there's so much information. I still kind of found it interesting because you, you do. It's such a detailed, it's not exactly moment by moment, but you definitely do get a sense of like what happened and and where people were and what they did and things like that. It was interesting. I, I thought it could have been somewhat, they could have done more with the, the stuff that they had and maybe pared back on some of the information they gave you in the interest of sort of suspense and moving things along quickly. But again, it was just so much information. I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Hmm. Laura, what was up with the whole makeup artist situation? I remember looking up at one point and seeing fake noses being applied to people's faces. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think the thing is, a lot of this was like the blind leading the blind. Like I was like, like I said earlier, these guys have been hit one too many times in the head to pull off a actual <laughs> intelligent heist. However, I thought it was really interesting that the one guy was like, hey, there's this hairstylist. And you know, she also does makeup and maybe she can do disguises for us. I was like, yes. This is great. But that poor woman had to go into freaking witness protection after this. You and think I'm she like, would just get a good wig. <laughs> you think she could have just done her makeup? Could. Yeah, put yeah, a prosthetic nose on. She's safe. <laughs> so I think what struck me is like you're going into this and I'm like, wow, they've got like the makeup person and they've got this plan. And you're thinking, OK, but then it's just like it just goes 
from bad to worse as they're carrying this thing out with like, I'm going to put a hole in you. Like they just, the, the way that they talk to people and then um, the way that they didn't have a truck that was big enough to like fit all the money. And then the way they're like, and now we're just going to dispose of this other truck and set it on fire. And now we're going to, I mean, just like a bunch of fucking stupid things. Um, but the makeup artist, I was, imp- I was like, no, that, that was a good idea. Like, yeah. I'm glad they recruited her to help out with this. Uh, that made it a little more interesting. Um, I feel bad that she's in witness protection. I hope they put her somewhere nice, somewhere warm. Hmm. And uh, in England yeah. <laughs> or anywhere well, she's else. She's not in England anymore. She's gone in witness protection. <laughs> yeah. So, Kevin, you have a note here that you said you're not 100 on why the yeah. heist came together. Yeah. I mean, again, I think Toby mentioned this, like we don't get a lot of sort of the buildup and the procedural part of putting this together, which is what everybody, you know, likes in the Ocean's Eleven stuff. But I'm not completely clear on sort of like how this came together other than they had this recorded phone call between uh, Lee Murray and Lee Russia. But the only thing is that the guy that knows, knows me knows the name. So they're in newspapers and stuff in telly. I mean, if I, when I, especially when I have my comeback flights, they'd be all over in newspapers, all in the national papers. We know that Lee sort of was like the general busting in, but who's like really the mastermind? Who's, was who's the wife whose this face and, we don't see in the fucking uh, documentary for no reason? Yeah, I mean, I think I was left with still, I mean, they thoroughly described how they traced everybody and they figured out how Mr. High, you know, High Viz and the Mr. Hoodie and Mr. Average, how they all found them. But I'm still not, I don't know if anyone else is sort of clear. I'm just sort of like, why this Why this came together, right? You on its surface, you think like, oh, well, the guy wasn't going to make a lot of money in kickboxing, so he... MMA, Kevin, I MMA. Know, I know. It's sport, sport, of the, sport of the future. And always will be. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's football. That's soccer. soccer yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like why, you know, you might think, oh, you know, he was a... He was a washed up athlete, so he decided to steal a bunch of money. And that's not it. And I'm also not 100% where he fit in in the, the crime world before and during and after his uh, MMA career. Because it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's part of the, what was it, the, the butt wash? But what was the yeah. butt yeah, wash? Well, well, Toby can explain it all because he yeah. knows how this whole plan game together and how everybody fits in, right? Oh, Toby? he does. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, Toby, you have so many notes that are so detailed about how like uh, Lee is just leaking evidence everywhere and they have like so much guts, but planning is their strength, right? I said planning is not their strength. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> uh, you're, I'm lost. What's going on here? No, you, you are pointing out that planning is not their strength. And like there is no sort of sense of how this all came together, right? Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think they have the information to, like, give you any details or even any speculation other than it seems as though, you know, they wanted to get uh, Lee because I guess he's just the best known of those of those people. And, you know, I, I think the real the real mistake they made is they stole too much money. Yeah. Right. You think 53 million pounds is too much money? I feel like if they just stolen like two million pounds, the whole like there's a, a I remarkable know, the, stolen, the stolen hearts guy didn't steal that much money and he went away to prison like for a fucking really yeah, long but they time didn't, like go around the world to find right him. i mean this whole thing about like trying to you know work with the moroccan government to try him in morocco for a crime he did in england and stuff like 
if he, if it hadn't been that big a heist, I don't mm-hmm. think they would have gone to all that trouble. But I think they were kind of in a situation where they had to bring it to some kind of resolution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what prompted the Moroccans to go along with it because it does seem kind of strange. The most unbelievable part about all this is listening to these guys whine about how, like, like it's not fair. Like, we didn't do anything in Morocco. Why are they... It's like we made it to Morocco. We should be safe. Like nobody, nobody should be able to do anything to us here. It's like you guys stole fifty million pounds. Like you're not just gonna like go across the Mediterranean and suddenly everything's gonna be fine. And then they're complaining about like it's gonna be twenty five years. And I was just like, you know, this is like the difference between the U.S. and everywhere else. It's like twenty five years. It's like. How that's that's like completely like unimaginable and complete. And it's like here, it's like a fifteen year old makes a phone call to set up a, a a drug deal that he has no other part in, and he'll go away for like eighty years. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like oh well, that that doesn't seem right, but I guess that's the way it goes. And there, it's like you steal fifty million pounds being sent for twenty five years. It's like my God, what is going on here? So. Again, I, I I tend to fall on their side, <laughs> the European side of that, which is I think we way 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 over sentence people. Yeah, but it is kind of funny this idea that you can just do this and just kind of get away with it, and like even if you do get caught, it's like you can like kind of skate on some technicality. It's incredible to me that like also too, it's like we got all the way to Morocco. That's like from New Hampshire to Florida. <laughs> like it's like it's like it's like the like the it is very very different. It's like thinking about just like where you can go and where you can get away from. I don't know. It's like it's it is just interesting. I was thinking about the sentencing thing too. And Laura, you were talking about sort of the visuals of trying to like um, put fifty three million pounds into a van. Yeah, I thought that was some fun uh, video that we had the surveillance video of these guys like trying to load this van, and you're seeing that like. It's just not going as planned. I mean, so it really drove home just how much they were trying to get away with. But then it was just like funny that they like ran out of space. But also I like that it's called a lorry so that the lorry wasn't (laughs) big enough to transport the money. And like they could have gotten away with a lot more. It's a lorry. Yeah, it's a lorry. It's a lorry. I listen to a lot of British uh, books. I'm very used to the yeah, being yeah. So, uh, Kevin, why is it funny to you that the people being locked in cages was the linchpin to this whole, like... Well, look, I didn't say it's funny. Like, ha-ha. Yeah. But there was this whole scene where they go to Morocco, the, the Kent police, and obviously they can't operate in that foreign country, so they're trying to get the assistance of the Moroccan authorities. And, like, they make this pitch. They show, like, oh, my God, there's all this money, and it was this, like, violent thing where they broke in and they tied everybody up, and there was the only time they seemed to get a reaction was when they see the part where, in addition to all the employees and all this other stuff with people with guns, they bring in the manager's wife and kid. And also put them in, in like one of those little cages and like, stop the meeting, step outside, come back. All right, what are we going to do now about this? And it was just like, oh, it was this culture. They said it was a cultural thing. I mean, that's the British interpretation of how that meeting went down. But uh, but yeah, I mean, whatever it takes to sort of, you know, get the uh, buy in of our allies to, you know, maybe, bring somebody to justice. Maybe don't put anybody in a cage or steal 53 million pounds, right? Yeah, I mean, that would have been my opening pitch, but apparently they had to go pretty far <laughs> into the deck to, uh, you know, to get to that bullet point. 
All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Catching Lightning? Is it a Showtime documentary? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Catching Lightning? Ugh, uh, this is a thumbs down for me. I, I tried to watch this a second time because I thought maybe I was like being harsh as I was watching it the first time and I just found it to be kind of boring, but it was still boring the second time. And I think it was four hours long. I don't think it needed to be four hours long. And I think this could have been a really fun documentary if they played into the absurdity of this heist in like a cocaine island style sort of approach. For me, it was just long. It was dense. It was dry. And the thing is, it's an interesting heist. It's an interesting story. Just the way that it was told for me was just really not interesting. So it's a thumbs down. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for catching lightning? I guess I'm a thumbs down. You know, it's sort of in between a thumbs sideways and a thumbs down, but I guess I'll give it a thumbs down. Like I can see why the pitch was attractive because I do, you know, the the elevator pitch I'm sure is probably pretty good. And they've got they've got some good interviews, they've got some good footage, but I don't think they do as much as they could have with it. I I I agree with Laura that there were other possibilities for how you tell this story. And I think just for something that's a, you know, it's basically a heist movie. It's a documentary, but it's a heist movie and they just, they don't know enough about the planning to make it that kind of satisfying uh, heist media that we've all kind of, you know, well, I guess we all don't, but people who like heist stuff know and love. So for that reason, I give it a thumbs down. I mean, I didn't hate it, hate it, but there's just wasn't enough there and it went on for too long. Kevin Flynn. I'm going to thumbs down. I understand that the documentarians problem, they've got an hour's worth of story, but they only have four hours to tell it. In. Let that one sink. <laughs> um, That's good, Kevin. You like the uh, Laura just got it. No, that was perfect. That's uh, yes. Perfect. Uh, This probably make a good, you know, 30 for 30. I think it'd be a good podcast too. If you had a narrator could kind of come in and like, just take this on and just tell the story with a different pace and maybe pick the things that are important. But, you know, in general, it just was just, I think, uh, I don't know if I like really cared about his sports career as much as, the heist and I don't know if the heist part really was given enough shape to kind of follow along. Anyway, I did find it a little hard to kind of follow along and stay engaged. And so for that reason, I'm going thumbs down. Yeah. Huge thumbs down for me. And for several reasons, it was too long. A B the heist is boring as hell. And here's why. If you like a heist movie or a heist piece of media, there's a reason why. Either it's because you care deeply, dramatically about the person doing the heist, like the stakes are high for them either not being caught or there's a dramatic reason for them doing the heist where you want them to pull it off, right? Or you care deeply about the institution or the thing for which the heist is being like perpetrated against, right? I don't give a shit about any of this shit, any of the thing. I'm like, this is like an institution that I don't give a shit about. I don't give a shit about the 53 million pounds. And I don't have any idea why this person is committing this heist or why I should care that they're committing it. They set up none of those things. It's literally like 
guy who was known for one thing did a second thing. <laughs> who gives a shit? Like, who gives a shit? Uh, it is a very, very boring and pedestrian story that could not keep my attention, even though I really tried. I tried so hard. Um, it is so boring. He's no Murph the Surf. That was boring, too. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. That was fucking boring, too. I did not care about Murph the Surf either. This is just a bunch of, like, toxic, masculine fucking storytelling. People thinking something that is interesting when it is not. Ocean's Eleven is interesting because the mechanics of the heist, it's fictional. The mechanics of the heist itself are interesting. And because they have a lead character for whom there are stakes that if he pulls the heist off, something happens that is important to him, right? And the person that he's perpetrating the heist against is a villain. So you want that guy to pay, right? That is why heist movies work and heist stories work. There is none of that here. I'm sorry. Heist stuff, stop it with the, like, I'm sorry, like the McDonald's thing works because McDonald's is a corporation and you want to cheat them, right? That's why it works. This does not work. Anybody out there making a heist thing, that's the formula. You got to give a shit on one end or the other. And there's none of that here. Huge thumbs down for me. Sorry. And if if you want to know about the case, do what I did because I was so bored by this that I had to go actually look it up. Um, read the Sports Illustrated feature article that they wrote, like a true crime story uh, about the case that you can read. Is it way better? Way better. Mm-hmm. Okay. The huge thumbs down for me for Catching Lightning. All right. Before we go, Lara Bricker, after that blistering review from me, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we have an uplifting story for cat of the week. Oh, thank God. After last week's dead animal, I could really use one. (laughs) We have a teeny tiny black kitten sent in by Jenna Piazza. And the black kitten was the only survivor of its litter. Due to no uplifting, but it's living and it is fighting. And the little Rocky is a fighter and the mama kitty is, is nursing him. And this little black kitten is going to live. You're making it sound not that hopeful, Laura. (laughs) It looks hopeful in the picture. The mama cat looks really happy. As of the time the photo was taken. (laughs) Well, I am rooting for the little black kitten. I'm rooting rooting for some good news. I don't want to hear it if it's bad news. All right. Well, good luck to you, Black Kitten. If, if it doesn't work out, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you with their actually uplifting pet of the week slash cat of the week stories, how can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, folks want to reach out to you and like pitch you their actual high stakes, high stories. How can they find you on social media? Uh, they can find me at Truth Social um, at Toby. <laughs> I'm actually not on Truth Social. Um, I'm on Twitter at H. There's only a few more episodes of Strange Arrivals left. So if you want to tweet at me about that, that would be awesome. Listen, I'll admit to being on some shady platforms just so I can find out what the fuck is going on there. I will. I have. I may or may not be on shady platforms just so I can see. Kevin Flynn, how can people find you on social media? You can find me on Adult Friend Finder at Kevin P. Flynn. I'm sure you can. You can find me. Ah, ah, ah. 
Uh, you can find me all sorts of places, uh, all the legitimate ones at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, find us, hit join the group. We'll let you in if you're not a jerk. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married With Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the fantastic Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. Yeah. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we train for our chance of glory fighting in the octagon. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I saw that it was a one-point game with 4.7 seconds left, so I quickly pulled it up on the streaming, and then everything crashed. Oh, is that why you froze right in the middle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, you should know, this is how you look when you froze. Like you just literally like say, so Toby, what do you think of that? And you're like, and we're like waiting because you just looked like you were ready. You're like you're, you're pondering. Yeah, like your facial expression was like, all right, hold on to your panties for this one. And it wasn't. You're gonna really love what I've got to say. Gonna love what I've got to say about what? Oh, about we this. don't know. He froze. <laughs>